Okay. And we're live. Retrace 113 for January 11th, 2023. We're going to talk about technological danger. This is sort of a setup segment. Uh, We're going to get through a lot of stuff that we're going to come back to. Let's get started. Um, Let's start with a prediction. The freedom, security, safety trade-off will continue to shift towards safety. Over the next 20 years, between uh, 2023 and 2032 inclusive, you'll continue to be asked, told, and nudged into giving up freedom in exchange for safety, which is about unintentional danger, in addition to security, which is about intentional danger. And I get that distinction from um, Bruce Schneier in one of his early books. Um, Other people to consider on this, in addition to Schneier, I guess, uh, Norbert Wiener, uh, Human Use of Human Beings, Russell, Impact of uh, Science on Society. Um, We've talked about George Dyson's books, Samuel Butler, Kurzweil's uh, Spiritual Machines, Ted Kaczynski, Technological Slavery, and then uh, the couple of Nick Bostrom papers we've been talking about recently. Um, The – what are they called again? Information Hazards and then the Vulnerable World Hypothesis. Okay, so that's just things to think about. Don't worry, but that's a lot to cover. Uh, we're just talking about the prediction right now. Next 20 years, there's, the shift is going to continue uh, the trade-off toward safety and, of course, security. Okay, uh, there's a decision, uh, a couple of them actually, um, that sort of follow from that. We've talked about the two problems of life and the problem of death um, before we started in Re27, and we, we, uh, that was one of the early world models, or the, I think it was World Model 4, and then uh, World Model 5, Re31 also uh, integrated it. So the two problems of life are uh, how to change the world and, and how to change oneself, that part of the world that, that we call ourselves. Those are the two problems of life, um, recurring decisions in a sense, uh, decision problems, recurring decision problems. And then the problem of death is that dead things rarely become alive, whereas alive things regularly become dead. What do you do about that? That's a decision problem. It's not just an observation. It's a decision problem. You're in the game. You have skin in the game because presumably you don't want to become dead, and yet that's happening all around you, and it's very hard to uh, bring the natural world to life. Okay? So decisions. So far we've got prediction, the basic prediction, which is this shift towards safety and security, the trade-off from freedom to safety and security, giving up. Freedom goes down, safety and security supposedly or or hopefully will go up. And then um, the decision, one way of thinking about the the recurring decisions that will lead to that is is the two problems of life. How do you change the world versus how do you change yourself? So if you change the world, you might make it more secure. If you change yourself, you just give up some security, give up some freedom, okay? Uh, Problem of death is why why do you care about uh, safety and security? Um, You know, ultimately, I mean, you want to keep your stuff, you want to keep your limbs, but ultimately you want to keep breathing, okay? So far, so good. Let's talk about uncertainty. Uh, We just don't know that much about the future. Uh, We talk within the confines of our memories and instincts. Um, Obviously, in a sense, your whole world is your memories or your whole sense of the world or your whole whole sense of self or your whole presentation of self is, is sort of you know, the bedrock of it is in your, in your memories, but it's also in um, sort of your body's memories in the form of genes. Um, so we know the world through written history, more or less the last 5,000 years of, of Earth, uh, if some form of it. Obviously, we have no real way of 
being sure about the history books, but there are a lot of things that would have to come together in the wrong way for the history books to be totally unreliable. History is not bunk, but it's also, you know, as Henry Ford said, but it's also not, um, it's also not crystal clear. Um, our bodies know the earth about, you know, say 2 billion years back or so in the form of genes, you know, more or less life, uh, arose at that point on earth uh, more or less 2 billion years ago the earth's about 4 billion years old life i think started around 2 billion years ago so um so in a sense our bodies know um have some sort of certainty about the way the world works uh, in the form of our genes but if we're talking about survival um the parts of our bodies that know uh, are our genes and the parts that would survive are the genes and they can survive in other animals we share you know, most of our DNA with the rest of the living world. Um, and so we don't have to survive for that part, that uh, clever part of the world that has a sense of what the world is really like, what the broader world is really like. Um, we don't have to, we humans don't have to survive for that part to survive. Uh, so we shouldn't assume that we're going to survive. Um, and uh, there is hope in the form of controlling the environment to protect ourselves via technology, although we'll see that there's this, you know, the, 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 there's a, an irony in that. Um, you know, controlling the environment uh, via technology, but we also like to control the environment um, just, to amu- just to enjoy ourselves, not to preserve survival. Obviously, survival comes first in theory, but um, only if you can move quickly enough. And depending on how quickly things are moving, you might or might not move quickly enough. Okay, so we should think about technology um, causing danger, uh, but also that it is uh, the solution to danger. It's the solution to safety and security. It's not the solution, but it's 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 an obvious category of solutions. Let's let's say it's uh, let's say that. Okay. Um, let's talk about beliefs and feelings. So I just sort of put together a couple of. Um, double a few doubles here. So uh, you believe there's a cure. You have a disease. You believe there's a cure. The feeling you have, you feel, is hope. Uh, if you believe there's no cure for your disease, fear, uh, among many other uh, things, of course. Um, if you believe there's a spaceship, you might uh, start to feel excited. Um, if you have any desire to ride in a spaceship, the younger you are, the more likely. Right? Uh, if if uh, if your hometown is uh, the same. If you believe your hometown is the same, then you might feel longing, homesickness. If uh, you believe your hometown is not the same, you might feel sadness for not being able to go back to it. Uh, if you believe she loves you, happiness. If, she, if you believe she hates you, misery. And if you believe she picks her nose, disgust. Just establishing the connections, the connection between beliefs and feelings. Okay, so the subtitle for the notes are beliefs and the feelings they cause determine what chances we take, but possibilities don't care about our beliefs. That's just a little bit of the uh, of the relationship between beliefs and feelings. What about chances? Um, even getting out of bed, uh, something as simple and, and, and everyday as getting out of bed uh, or not getting out of bed is somewhat risky. Um, I don't have an example of this, but I'm sure if I looked, I could find some poor son of a bitch who got out of bed and died immediately. I mean, you just even from just falling. I mean, it, it, actually, the older you get, the more likely it is that a fall is going to be your demise because you're more frail and you're falling more. Falling is really dangerous. We're upright. Uh, it's, I just had one of my family members yesterday, uh, but she was fine, but she was young. Um, uh, falling's no good. Were these sticks? Were these walking stick bugs? And all the valuable stuff's at the top because 
I don't know. I don't know what the evolutionary uh, history is of, of the location of our brains. But anyway, it falls the farthest and the hardest when we fall. Um, so getting out of bed is, is risky. Uh, staying in bed is risky. Um, you're taking a chance if you're bedridden in a hospital of getting you know, bed sores and all these terrible things that can lead to your demise as well. Whether or not you're old, uh, you can you can definitely be doomed by staying in bed, not getting out of bed. Um, and and we do or don't get out of bed based on based on beliefs and instincts. You know, there's an instinct to sort of get up when you wake up, but it's also about beliefs. I mean, what's that? You, it's easy to think of that saying that you know. A, he's so depressed he doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning, right? Why? Is that instincts? Well, maybe, but it's also belief. Things aren't going to get better. There's nothing you can do. You get out of bed, there's nothing you can do. It's not, your life's not going to get better, okay? It's a belief that, um, that, that sort of controls a chance that you take. What's the chance? Just getting out of bed, getting out of bed. Okay, if getting out of bed can be chancy, then anything can be chancy. Um, and I just want to insert here something we've talked about in the past uh, that was, was sort of been... Uh, on November 27th, I don't, well, it's 11-27, doesn't matter. Okay, uh, it's in the notes. Um, the the radi- sort of radical economist von Mises uh, had a theory of human action. He wrote a whole treatise on it, and he said the three preconditions for human action, so, for example, getting out of bed or doing anything, giving up some freedom or not giving up some freedom, um, the three preconditions for action are uneasiness with the present, number one, an image of a desirable future is number two, and then the belief, the expectation that action has the power to yield the image. Um, Because humans have enough picking low-hanging fruit, enough time, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I shouldn't have put that in there. That's from something else. Uh, Okay, so, um, and I think I I should have said at the top that, like, I don't have an opinion about this freedom versus safety and security or freedom versus, uh, you know, solutions to danger. I, I don't, I really don't like, you know, when uh, most of the time when I hear people talk about the trade-off, it's always between freedom and security. They never talk about safety, um, but safety comes up obviously in relation to technology and artificial intelligence safety, but also synthetic biology safety, that sort of thing. I don't, I don't have any strong instincts on this. You know, when I think about losing freedom, I want to keep my freedom. When I think about losing my life or uh, losing quality of life in a profound way i want to keep that and i'll give up some security uh give up some freedom uh, for that uh, safety and security so um you're getting you're getting about as unbiased a, a person as you can on this i think um let's talk about possibilities if we're talking about uncertainty we're talking about you know what's possible we don't know that much about the future uh we we know that the 5,000 year earth history and we know the 2 billion year history in some sense deep in our bones uh, what what sort of possibilities can we imagine well like it's there's, you could go wild with this but let's you know a radically good future based on technology let's imagine a cure for everything you can imagine a radically bad future based on technology synthetic plague that kills everybody or worse than kills you know makes it immiserates us but doesn't kill us um you can imagine so these are uh this is those are because like we can say that they're caused by technology although technology most of us would still argue that technology is being done by humans so what about a radically good future because of humans imagine doctors inventing cures and then we can imagine a radically bad future because of humans doctors inventing the synthetic plague you can go on and on like this the point is um to distinguish the possibilities that you can imagine from from as what they are which is just possible futures and then um 
and and imagine the Venn diagram of of like physically possible futures uh, that is much bigger than your little your little dot inside of it um, that that represents what you, what you can imagine and what you can imagine is not it doesn't line up one to one with what other people can imagine. I'm sure there are people out there who can imagine really. Well. I mean, the science fiction authors, right? Like that's their job. Um, but there are also people who know things that enable them to ma- imagine things that we uh, the outsiders can't. Um, okay, so let, now let's just play a little game to wrap this up. Um, if you believe X, do you consent to Y? Okay, so uh, if you believe that no one has privacy, do you consent to privacy invasion? Invasion is kind of a loaded term, but it's sort of, you know, if, if you, would you accept the NSA spying or would you ex- accept that every uh, web-based company or web-based transaction involves cookies that are, can, that sort of, you know, destroy privacy in a sense? Would you accept, you know, do you accept that phones are like, tra- you know, just tracking devices that happen to make phone calls? Um, if you... If you believe that you were the only person without that privacy, that everyone else had privacy, would you still accept those things? Okay, so if you believe one thing, you consent to another thing. We all consent to the things I just listed, more or less. I mean, you're presumably not, you know, you don't have a browser extension and and a million other things that protect you from the things I just described. You don't have a a jitterbug phone, right? You have a smartphone. Okay, so you believe certain things and then you consent to other things. If you believe uh, that entity X, I should have used a different... A symbol here. If you believe that an entity is not malicious, do you um, consent to open interaction with that entity? Uh, if you believe that the NSA is not malicious, or let's say the IRS um, is not malicious, do you consent to open interaction with them, telling them, you know, answering honestly? Some people do, some people don't. In the United States, uh, the UN, I don't know, to make it more international. Um, Google, to make it more corporate. Uh, the NSA to make it more espionage. You, if you believe that these organizations, as a whole, or mostly, or, or you know, completely, are are not um, malicious, do you consent to? And the answer is, yeah, you probably do. Right? You'd have to believe something about their malice, in intentional or otherwise, malice in intent or malice in effect, to to not openly interact with them. Um, I think that I think that covers most of the the uh, the refusals to openly interact. Okay, um, if you believe the vulnerable world hypothesis, uh, do you consent to a global police state? We're going to talk about this. This comes from um, Bostrom's vulnerable world hypothesis paper from 2019. Um, but the, the 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 short version of it is if uh, if technological Development. This is the vulnerable world hypothesis. I'm quoting Bostrom now. If technological development continues, then a set of capabilities will at some point be attained that make the devastation of civilization extremely likely, unless civilization sufficiently exists exists or exit. I'm sorry. Unless civilization sufficiently exits the semi-anarchic default condition, and the semi-anarchic default condition that he says we're in now is limited capacity for preventative policing, limited capacity for global governance, and then diverse motivations. Those are the three things that roll up into the default and a semi-anarchic condition. Uh, so what's a diverse motivate? What, what does that mean? Diverse motivations. There is a wide and recognizably human distribution of motives represented by a large population of actors at both the individual and state level. In particular, there are many actors motivated to a substantial degree by perceived self-interest, e.g. money, power, status, comfort, and convenience. 
And there are some actors, the apocalyptic residual, who would act in ways that destroy civilization even at high cost to themselves. That's, so that's his explanation of diverse motivation. So um, if you believe the vulnerable world hypothesis that at some technological de- point of technological development, um, the devasa- devastation of civilization is extremely likely unless we do something about it, um, do you consent to what you know, Bostrom and, and others would – say is the logical thing to do, uh, which is basically a global police state. Uh, we're going to talk later about um, what that looks like. He he describes it in detail. You're going to be wearing things around your neck. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a teaser there. Um, but for now, that's it. Okay. Retrace 113, signing off. <laughs>